0: How involved should creators be when their work is adapted for a new medium? Can we cut it out with hosts already and just let award winners give the speech they want to give? Those topics and your comments all up on this episode, Lights, Camera, Podcast. This is Zach on Film. Welcome, one and all, to the fourth Episode of this new format of Zach on Film. I am, of course, your host Zach Wolf from MajorSpoilers. dot com. Have a nice short show up for you today. Nice little short one. Looks, I think it's going to turn out that way. Topic on discussion adaptations and creator involvement you know adaptations are coming to the theater every week now it seems from comics to books to uh, i don't know other movies almost short films the original stories all have an original creator that brought a vision and a story to a small audience but now new creators have the license to tell that story to take it to a much wider audience audience by adaptation but how involved should the original creator be in this new telling of the story I talked to Rodrigo, Matthew, and Steven all about that idea this week, so let's jump into that conversation. So guys, we live in a world where almost every weekend at the theater, a film is being released as an adaptation of a previous work. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question I want to pose to you guys this week when we're going to talk about is how involved do you believe the creator of the original work should be in the adaptation. And this all stems from uh, a recent article by Hollywood Reporter talking about the uh, heated relationship between uh, E.L. James, the writer of the Fifty Shades of Grey novel and the director's name is Sleeping in My Mind, uh, of the Fifty Shades of Grey movie where they butted heads Sam over... Sam Taylor uh, Jones. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Uh, butted heads, and it really culminated in the final scene where they both Wanted a different ending, uh, and, Yale uh, James got her way and got the ending she wanted.
1: Well, even more so, as the sequel started to come up, she wants total control over everything in right. the script and the movie.
0: Yeah, and, and the situation with Fifty Shades of Grey is interesting because when she sold the, mov- the movie rights to uh, the studio, it's pretty much in her contract that she had a large control over the construction of the film. Uh, so we don't really need to talk about Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, specifically uh, just the idea of how involved authors should be in the adaptation of the work is an interesting one to me and one that is incredibly relevant uh here at major spoilers because we talk about comics comic books all the time and in the theater throughout the year there's at least four or five films adapted from a comic book loosely yeah yeah um and so what is the role in an uh, of the author for the film, let's, let's start with you, Stephen. What do you? What are, um, what are your feelings? Honestly,
1: it is one of those things where it depends on how badly the studio wants the the title, mm-hmm. and it kind of has that caveat of be careful what you wish for because if you are so desperate to get your hands on this property that you will let someone who doesn't have maybe um, not not a lot of knowledge on. How movies are made or, you know, how to cram 800 pages into uh, two two hours, two hours Mm -hmm. of movie. uh, It's going to cause a lot of conflict between the author and the studio. Sometimes it could be great. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it could be a really lovely experience, but it depends on who wants it more. Um, If the author really is holding out saying, hey, look, um, you're going to have to pay me all this money and I have all this creative control and the studio is willing to go that direction. Uh, that's the risk that they're going to have to take. Mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly don't have a problem with um, with the idea that the author has some input on uh, the the final work, but it is an adaptation, and that's the other thing that the author needs to understand. And I think some authors are just more than happy to just say, "You want to make my my uh, my Grisham novel into a movie? Great, uh, give me four billion dollars and uh, go go have fun."
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Rodrigo, you've kind of created your own world. Uh, mm-hmm. With critical hits uh, right. if, if it came to a point Where Warner Brothers Approached you and major spoilers and said Hey we like this critical hit thing we want to turn it into a movie uh, You as a creator How would you feel About giving control to someone To start making You know a few changes here and there Maybe a character to come off the way uh, You intended them to be Or one of the players intended their character to be uh, I, How would that make you feel In, in that scenario
2: uh, it, it honestly wouldn't kill me. I mean, that's the thing is like as an author, as a writer, you know that when you are handing something to the studios that they're going to change it. And that's, you know, something like Critical Hit is a great example because uh, what episode are we on? 200 288. 288. So assuming that every episode was only one hour, that's that many hours. Of critical hit Mm -hmm. that needs to be crammed somehow into one to seven movies, right? So, uh, that needs to be adapted and it's work that needs to be done and it's work that somebody has to do with a certain amount of freedom. Now, if... Warner Brothers uh, came to us and they wanted, like, we want this to be Rodrigo Lopez presents Critical Hit. Like, Rodrigo Lopez <laughs> presents... Rodrigo Lopez is Critical Hit by Rodrigo Lopez. Then, as part of things, I might want to get some more control if my name is going to be plastered all over it. Right. But, um, you know, because obviously they would want that publicity. But, as Stephen pointed out, that's what it comes down to, um, is when you have... Um, a fan base that you're hoping to draw, then you can say something like, this is Frank Miller's Sin City. And then you basically piss off everybody in the guild to get Frank Miller to um, become a co-director for it and get that name as close to it as possible. But that's all it is. It's a publicity maneuver.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, I think it goes down to to the situation. If... If you really want that title, and, and, you know, let's face it, Fifty Shades of Grey has made a lot of money for a February movie. Um, It's probably made its budget back already, if if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. Uh, And (laughs) for, who is this, Warner Brothers that put it out? For Warner Brothers, a smart business move. Do they have to put up with a headache? Maybe, possibly, I don't know. I don't know this person personally. Uh, the author personally, or the director personally, so I don't know what kind of grievances they would have had between each other. Uh, same way with the actors, don't know. Um, but it's kind of the risk you have to take, and if you're willing to put up with someone who demands uh, a green peanut M and M's in the green room and nothing else,
0: that's mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm.
1: What, kind of what you have to have to deal with.
0: Now, Matthew, I know on a lot of shows you've complained about. Oh, uh, cypress. Uh, films not being true to the original work uh, specifically um, oh, what was that will Smith zombie movie? I am legend I am yeah. legend yeah you've you've bemoaned that
1: film well, Even the last movie um, <laughs> wasn't, wasn't even close to the uh, to the original source material. Um,
0: do oh. you think scenarios like that could be inv- uh, avoided if the the creator of the original work was more tightly involved with the production of the adaptation?
3: Well, yes, but, I mean, think about the successful movies we've gotten that the author hated. We wouldn't have gotten Kubrick's The Shining Mm -hmm. if Stephen King had input. We wouldn't have gotten the version of American Psycho that we got, which I do enjoy if Brett Easton Ellis had had his way. Uh, But, for instance, V for Vendetta? completely twisted the storyline in ways that were counter to the themes of the actual story that not just the book was telling, but that they were telling. So if Alan Moore were involved, one would presume he would say, you know, gentlemen, I think you're doing it wrong. But that's why i Alan Moore, by the way. I think what it really comes down to for me is it's a very subjective argument. If you love the work of E.L. James and other sixth-grade novelists, then – sorry, that was a cheap shot. I'm sorry, that was low. I'll take it back. I'm sorry, that was a dick move. But if you like that work, then her having creative control over the legion of people who would normally have creative control is a good thing. There are probably, what, 10, 15, 30 guys in charge of what goes into a movie. There's always the money people who have their input. Some movies have different writing teams reworking different parts of the scripts at different times. So, I think what it comes down to for me is, do I think that the movie Sahara would be better if Clive Cussler, who wrote the book from which it was taken, was involved? Yes, I think it would. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't enjoy Forrest Gump, a movie that the writer notoriously said sucked and started the sequel to his book with don't let nobody never make a movie about your life. What What you really come down to for me is a question of, If it makes a better movie, I don't care if, you know, E.L. James, S.L. James, if the writer, if she wants green M&Ms, I mean, if she wants people to carry her around on a palanquin and call her her majesty, if the movie's better, if the movie works better because of that type of creative control, then I'm all for it. But I think what it comes down to is within the Hollywood system. She is going to be marked as a troublemaker, regardless of whether this movie makes trillion trillion.
2: Just uh, real quick um, a lot of the time, authors, uh, the original authors, do get a shot at writing the screenplay. Sometimes, that is yeah. something that they can work into their contract. And at the very least, aside from the adaptation, the studios pay them to write that screenplay, even if they don't use it. Right.
1: And also keep in mind, too, that sometimes it's like, hey, I would like to buy the option on your book in the hopes that I can sell it. And authors are flattered and just say, oh, yeah, sure, go. You've got a year or two years or whatever that the option is to mm-hmm. go off and attempt to do something. And if uh, here's something great, if not, you know, that's OK, too. Uh, so sometimes yeah. it works that way, especially for lesser known authors and lesser known yeah. works. The other other thing to keep in mind is oftentimes it's not the content of the book that the studios are interested in. Sure. They are right. interested on, in the half dozen words that appear on the cover, you know, Fifty yep. Shades of Grey, uh, The Hobbit, yeah. <laughs> Lord of the Rings, whatever, that people are going to instantly recognize going, oh, I know the Pelican Brief. I know what that is. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's all they're buying is they're buying the title and the name recognition and everything in between uh, the, the front and back cover.
3: And if you do it right, I mean, if, if things work out really well, even if the author hates it, uh, as the case of the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory from, what, 73, yeah. you get two good experiences. Roald Dahl hated that movie. yeah, mm-hmm. But I read the book when I was a kid, and I love that movie. They are different experiences as a viewer, as a reader. But I think that they're both enjoyable in entirely different ways. And I think that the movie that we got, the movie that I've grown up loving, I think that if Raul Dahl had input and that movie didn't get made, on some psychic level, I would be somehow diminished and sad right now, knowing that somewhere in the universe there was a movie that I would have really laughed at when I was nine, that yeah. never well, got made. Well, and that's the
2: thing; it, it really is a like case by case basis. Mm-hmm. You know, in some situations, like, uh, you know, as a as as, as somebody who writes you know, any given thing, like you might be really enamored of some part of your book. And it's something that objectively is not going to translate way, well onto the screen. But if it's in your contract that you have that creative control, now there's that weird scene in the movie that barely worked in the book because nobody had to look at it. But now we do.
1: And also too, you have to not only think of it from the studio's point of view, but the author's point of view, what does the author want out of it? Maybe they're just in it for a payday. Maybe they don't care. And they're willing to par- to take, I forget what the bidding war was on, on this particular book, but really in any case, uh, sometimes you hear bidding wars $5 million, $10 million for the rights uh, to do this. Sometimes it's only $50,000. Mm-hmm. But if the author or the person who has creative control over that work says, yeah, I'll, I'll take $5 million. I'm sure if, if Hollywood came a knocking right now and said, hey, we want to buy your cowboy zombie ninja movie <laughs> idea for uh, $5 million but we're going to do whatever the heck we want with it. I'd probably take the $5 million and say, Mm -hmm. go ahead. Now it may turn out that, uh, that movie is awful and I might go, I don't want anything to do with it. So I'm going to say, Oh no, these guys didn't follow my vision at all. Boo, hiss, ha. But I still went in for it for the payday, not for the, Mm -hmm. the art or the creative work or whatever that you want to, to call that. So you do kind of have to question both sides in this and what they, what benefits them and, what they're getting out of it. In this case, with Fifty Shades of Grey, and again, I would have to go back and see how much they purchased it. I want to say it was $5 million for the book. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Uh, production budget for Fifty Shades of Grey was $40 million. Uh, as of the, what is this, the second week, third week of release, uh, as of this recording, Fifty Shades of Grey in the United States has made $131 million uh, domestically, uh, worldwide $411 million. So it's made 10 times uh, what they put into it. So <clears> this <throat> is a big win-win for Warner Brothers. And I think saying, you know, we're looking at another huge payday in two years when we release this other movie and you want to have control over a few few more of the words that are on the screen, that appear on the screen, eh, it's fine by me.
3: Mm-hmm. But after I, you've been paid for your Ninja Pirate Zombie Robot movie and you have your $5 no, 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 million. No, 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 no,
1: not Zombie Robots. That's, that's a whole different
3: movie. Your Ninja Pirate Zombie Robot movie makes you the $5 million. Then they come back to you and they want to option your story. About uh, the two guys in the leather Boy Scout uniform who drive a Cadillac across New Mexico, but they want to change it into two girls who fly a helicopter through Alaska. Well, but
1: see, that's the thing, too, is when these deals are made, Mm -hmm. no one's saying, hey, we're going to we're only buying this for the title only. Oh, we're going to change this thing and not make it anything close to what what your book is. These are conversations that don't come up during the deal process. These are things that are not written out in a contract. These are things that can be discussed. Oh, do you plan on, on staying true to my vision of my book and my work? I, I really want that. Yes, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that your vision is on the screen. Okay, I'll sign off on that. Yeah, but then, there,
2: of course, there's nothing stopping them from lying.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's true. true, too. But then in the course of condensing two hours, that one passage from the book, that one moment of your character development that you loved may not fit any in the story that's being told and gets cut out. And therefore, you're you're upset. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, I. It, it is a good question to ask, Zach, but I, I think I agree with, um, was it Rodrigo that said it's a case-by-case basis?
3: Yep. If we like it, it's great. If we hate it, then they're wrong. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thanks again to those guys for coming on the show again this week and giving their ideas on the topic that I throw their way. But these were not the only people that gave their opinions on Author involvement in adaptations. Oh, no, 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 no. Over on the Zach on Film subreddit, we had a couple people chime in on their thoughts. One one listener named Fool's Mask over on the Reddit. I wish, you know, I wish... Uh, uh, they'd also put their names. I like giving people credit. I guess if they want credit this way, that's fine by me. Fool's Mask over on the subreddit said, I feel this is a very personal and individual discussion. It is a matter of trust between the creator and the adapter. The creator needs to feel that the adapter has an understanding and passion for the project similar to what the creator felt when they made the original material, but the creator also has to realize that the adapter probably has a better understanding of the new media format and give them room to work. I love this answer, and I think it really hits it spot on about um, the creator needs to feel comfortable with the uh, person doing the adapting of their work if uh, I, I mean, if truly uh, they are going for a true adaptation of the material, like like Steven alluded to and Rodrigo has talked about on many different podcasts, uh, studios will certainly buy uh, properties just for the name recognition and then kind of do just whatever the heck they want with it. it. Happens all the time. Uh, sometimes it's you know it's not very cool when it happens. I, I personally I think, but you know, studios want to make their money somehow, and name recognition is a big way they are doing it. It also reminded me of. The relationship the Wachowski siblings and uh, uh, the third director for the Cloud Atlas had with the author of Cloud Atlas. If you've watched that film and watched any of the bonus material, they'd have a discussion with the three directors and the author. And it certainly feels that the author uh, had much respect for what they were trying to do with his original story and the vision they had for the film. So I thought that was a great relationship there. Hut Set Rolson over on the subreddit said, uh, I think that in general the answer is no, which I do believe uh, means they shouldn't have much involvement. It was on to say, once a writer releases their work for adaptation, they need to step back a bit and let it go unless they plan on directing the adaptation themselves. Adaptation is an art form in and of itself, and part of the pleasure of, uh, of seeing one is finding where it differs from the source material. Again, I, again, great answers. People had great answers this week in the subreddit. You have a smart, smart bunch out there. I think this is really true too. I, this made me immediately think about rap music. Uh, uh, I listened to, oh gosh, I think it was Big Sean's newest album, uh, or Jay Sean's. I'm probably getting that wrong. I don't really, uh, <laughs> I don't remember whose album I was linked to. And the end of the, the end of the album, he talks about uh, kind of more free flowing, uh, uh, using, because you know in rap music. Sampling is a, is a big thing, taking beats people previously uh, used or hooks and integrating the new songs. That's certainly a place to see uh, that idea uh, 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 you come forward in a, in a weird way of adaptations, which made me, th- uh, which Hutset Rawlson's comment made me think of. Uh, and I, I also agree that finding the differences between the source material and adaptation is always fun. And to see what they added that made the story even better, which makes me think of Catching Fire, the second. Uh, a movie and book from the from the Hunger Games series I thought the movie was one of the best adaptations I've ever seen and the things they added were so on point with the overall story of Catching Fire that it was perfect Uh, the scene I'm thinking of is President Snow's daughter doing her hair um um oh crap totally good for her name Jennifer Lawrence's character uh, and how she idolizes her character in the franchise. And we get to see that. It's not something we saw in the book. But it's certainly something and was a very big point that we saw in the movie. Which is a perfect, perfect addition to that story. Big day forward. With underscores between those words. <laughs> said on the subreddit. I've heard it said from many sources and believe it to be true. That that uh, once you release a creative work into the world. It ceases to be wholly yours. Again kind of drawing me back into that uh, rap Uh, A correlation that I drew earlier Uh, great feedback on the subreddit those are just snippets of the reactions from those people you can go read their full comments over at the subreddit the Zach on Film subreddit is reddit.com slash r slash Zach on Film subscribe, read the articles that I'm posting up there other people are posting up there Uh, join in on the conversation I want to hear your feedback Now it's time for sex kind of lovely part of the show where I get to give my ideas and thoughts and opinions about whatever subject I kind of just whatever I feel like talking about and this week I want to talk about Neil Patrick Harris but not singling him out even though I'm going to do that a little bit and all hosts for the Oscars and why am I differentiating or why am I singling out the Oscars from the Grammys or any other show uh, one, because I only watched the Grammys and then the SAG Awards. or I don't know, this There's like a lot of award shows I watch, but I want to single out the Oscars, mainly because they're about film, mainly because I think there's an important difference between this and other award shows. So New Patrick Harris hosted the 2015 Oscars just this last week. I watched it. Maybe you did also. I enjoyed it for the most part. I thought there was a lot of good moments. I thought uh who won was interesting, I expected boyhood to win a lot more awards, mainly uh you know best director and best film didn't happen. went to Birdman, someone watched it i'm ashamed of myself uh so that was that was uh interesting as a film uh, lover as a film thinker <laughs> film thinker uh, I, I build myself up too much uh to watch and to see. Uh, what the Academy gave the awards to. But one thing that really bothered me was Neil Patrick Harris's hosting. And, you know, that a lot of that stemmed from that really stupid recurring gag of, oh, I have a magic trick. I predicted the Oscars. It's going to be in this suitcase. No one watches it. Oh, uh, Oscar-winning actress. Well, you just watch this suitcase all night so no one tampers with it so this long, pointless joke can get played out at the end. Okay, great. Now... Let's wait three and a half hours and d- d- learn that, oh, great, The show is super, super scripted. That was a great trick. I, I don't know. It really irked me. The problem I have with this is that if you cut all those stupid gags and cut Neil Patrick Harris interviewing seat fillers, guess who would get more time to talk and to shine? The people winning the awards who have people to think and things to say. What were the most memorable parts of the Oscars, it wasn't Neil Patrick Harris's hosting. You know, we all talked about that the next day, and not in the not in the positive sense either. Mostly in the, <laughs> the negative, the most talked about things of the night were the speeches. Patricia Arquette started off. She won Best Actress for Boyhood or Best Supporting Actress for Boyhood. She called for equality of women. Pay us, pay women the same. Great, great, great thing to talk about. John Legend in common. Uh, John Legend specifically, after they won their Oscar for Best Original Piece with their song Glory from Selma, he drew comparisons of slavery, of African Americans, and the current state of our prison system. Graham Moore, the screenplay writer for The Imitation Game, a person we never would have known of if it wasn't for the Oscars, talked openly about his own attempted suicide at 16 and told us all to stay weird and stay different. J.K. Simmons... Best Supporting Actor winner for Whiplash told us all to call our parents. Don't text them, don't email them, call them if you have them. Dana Perry and Ellen Gusenberg kent uh, winners of a short documentary, told us that suicide is a crisis and it needs to be talked about out loud. These are the moments that we remembered and talked about and discussed after the Oscars were over, not some dumb joke Neil Patrick Harris spouted off except that got more time than these people were given you know they have important statements to make they have creators they want to get out and they want to be able to thank the people that helped them get to this place but now due to the show length even though it's super long they have to throw in so many commercial breaks and get neil patrick harris to do an opening number plus jokes throughout the show these people have to choose between giving thanks to the people that got them to where they are and to give a message that they want to give. The thing about the Oscars that I think differentiates between other award shows is that almost all of the awards go to people that we never would have heard of if it wasn't for the Oscars. These aren't household names winning 80% of the Oscars. The people's names we know that win Oscars are the best actresses and maybe the best director. I bet most people who watch the Oscars don't even know who the best directors are. Certainly didn't know uh, the director at Birdman. Uh, there's no way they know him. Um, so I've been even people, most a wide swath of the audience who who won the Oscar, who watched the Oscars, didn't even know who Wes Anderson probably was. I'm taking a guess. I'm generalizing. I'm just saying that might be the, the truth. So what are people turning in for? They're turning in for the spectacle. But why not give the people who give the most chatter on Twitter, on social media, after the whole award show is over for next week. Why don't we give them more time to talk and give it less time to the host? Uh, I want a host that's just going to move the thing along. Let's let's show more awards. There's a whole other awards ceremony they do like two months earlier. Why don't we do some of those? Uh, give them more recognition. They skipped over a bunch of them. They only showed three they give away at the science thing. There's so many more awards they give away in there uh, that I never would have known about that did Great strides for film over the last couple of years, especially this last year, why they won their Oscars. We give them no praise. We give them no time to shine. Don't even let them make a speech. Uh, but we have to deal with hosts. And I like Neil Patrick Harris. I think he's a cool guy. I think he's funny. I think his Tony opening piece what two years ago at the Tonys was one of the greatest opening acts I've ever seen. It was amazing. I thought this year's opening act was funny and technologically interesting. But I would absolutely sacrifice that to give the people who have worked so hard to entertain us all year even one more minute to speak to get their message out and to thank the people they need to thank i'd give that up and stop watching neil patrick harris interview seat fillers for five minutes so what do you think do you think hosts are even necessary for award shows Uh, go over to the subreddit, go to the podcast posting page over at major spoilers.com. Give your thoughts about hosts of the Oscars. Uh, Do you enjoy it? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just, just me. Maybe it's just me who thinks that the host should kind of take a sidestep and let these unknown people who will have no influence over the culture, except those two minutes, maybe two minutes, they get to stand on stage and thank people uh, for accepting award uh, for their creations throughout the year. Should we give them more time or should we get the hosts be funny? And entertain the masses that way. Uh, I want to know your opinion. Go to the subreddit, go to the major spoilers.com, and give your thoughts right now. And with that, we have wrapped up another episode of Zack on Film. Ran a little short today. Uh, uh, you know, we don't really have a set time. Generally, this goes, you know, about 40 minutes is what we've been running. Maybe a little bit short today, but, you know, I think we had a good conversation nonetheless. Head over to majorspolers.com where you can find this podcast posting page. You can download it, listen to it. I don't think you can download it. I think you can just listen to it. Uh, give your thoughts in the comments section there. Or if you don't want to give your comment thoughts there, you can certainly do it over at the subreddit. Reddit.com slash r slash film. Post articles you'd like to see us talk about. I generally post a topic we're going to be talking about. Uh, early on in the week so you can give your thoughts and they can make it on to that week's episode. While use that Amazon.com shopping link to buy any movies that you might be purchasing. A lot of Oscar movies are coming out uh, now on Blu-ray and DVD. It's not going to cost you any extra if you use that link, but a little bit will come back to Manchester spoilers to help keep shows like Zack on Film going. If you're listening on iTunes... Uh, why don't you do me a favor? Take a take two seconds, and give it a, give the show a rating, and maybe leave a comment saying what you think about the show. Something I've personally been doing. I've started to rate things more. I've known I am bad at this. I don't rate things after I buy them on Amazon or if I buy things off eBay. Uh, but it's good. People need to know if you have a good, satisfactory experience with a product. Uh, so I'm gonna. I'm personally gonna start rating more things. Maybe you'll do the same with the show. it make me super super happy uh, so that's it that's it for this episode of Zach on Film hit me up on Twitter at ZWolfWolf2O's we can continue the conversation there also we'll see you next week on Zach on Film
1: is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.